Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Salty Pastor, a podcast designed like no other. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host. And the reason The Salty Pastor is different from other types of podcasts you may be listening to is because we designed it for people who believe their faith is their faith. They take their relationship with Jesus seriously. They are looking for tools, knowledge, and insights so that their faith grows stronger, deeper, and more courageous. They aren't interested in someone telling them what to think or what to believe. They don't want filters, narratives, or nomenclature. They want the truth of Scripture, the truth of Jesus, the truth of the New Testament, changes that we want to see in the reality around us. The Salty Pastor is here for people who want to know more, do more, and be more. So let's welcome our very own Salty Pastor, Dr. Douglas Peak. There it is again, that draw. I love it. Greetings, everyone. I'm glad that you are joining us on this journey called the Salty Pastor, it's good to have you, and I hope that uh, the study in the Scripture is not only helping you grow closer to God, bringing you more joy in life, but you are also starting to see the world through a different lens. So on Tuesday, Pastor, we discussed that the principles of Paul laid out in Philippians three fifteen through 21. And the main principle that he uh, kind of talked about is how we maintain our joy and live a pattern of joy. And the primary we, way we do this is through discipleship or, or mentorship. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you want to know the exegesis on the other words in this Bible study, please um, check out episode 37 from Tuesday, and that'll help you um, understand what we're discussing today. And then... That was kind of the broad sense on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So why don't we, we dive a little bit deeper? What is discipleship and why is it so important today? Well, first of all, we have to notice the new word you threw out there, exegesis. I know. Exegesis. Man. I didn't say it right. You didn't say, Ex- oh, well, I, I didn't notice that. I just like, that's a new word. That you're, is a new word. You're hitting I, all the salty I looked, pastor I listeners. I looked it right? up, and then <laughs> apparently I did not. I should have asked you how to, how to pronounce it better. No, exegesis is a great word. It's about that in-depth Bible study. It's like basically saying these words had meaning when the authors wrote them, and we wanted to know what they meant when they wrote them. Right. Okay. You know? So uh, it's it's really a lot of fun. So it's a, it's in depth Bible study, but you know discipleship is important today. Being a mentor and being uh, mentored is so important today because it's an intentional, interpersonal relationship where one person coaches, instructs, shares wisdom and experiences for the purpose of encouraging, inspiring, and blessing the other person. And the reason it's critical is because of the simple axiomatic truth and axiom mean it's just it's a a truth that is always there never changing similar like you know gravity gravity you know gravity law of gravity is an axiom you know kind of a thing it's constant and so what it means is uh this axiom is a theistic view of reality another way of saying it is a biblical worldview and basically what that means is that in the bible there is a view of human nature what does it mean to be a human being and what is an explanation for this reality in which we live these are very big ideas these are very big concepts but they're extremely important and it's what every person 
struggles with, particularly when they are trying to orient themselves in the world. And that's, it's a very important psychological concept. And that is, is that people have to find their way, you know, they have to orient themselves in this world. And so the uh, theistic worldview, a biblical worldview is so powerful because it in my opinion, does the best job of describing the reality in which we live and who we are as human beings. And it basically goes like this, and that is, is that you are created in the image of God. And so all of the things that you like about yourself, right, and all the things that you know, when you really are in the zone, you feel good and you're affirmed in those things, those tend to be a reflection of God's image in you. Uh, everything like love, you know, we, we love being in love. And when love is good, what is it? It's awesome. awesome. And so well, why are we created for love? And, and what, well, that's a reflection, you know, a non-theistic worldview has no explanation of love. You know, it's just sex, right? <laughs> attraction. And so there's nothing altruistic about it. And so we're created in the image of God it explains all that. So, well, if we're created in God's image, God's perfect. And it's, there's about love and hope and aspiration and altruism and, and all of these wonderful things. Then how come we can be dirty dogs every now and then, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, how is it we get in a bad mood and then we can say things that wound people or we drop obligations, you know, because it seems like human beings can be really great and really bad all at the, all same, at the same time. Huh? <laughs> well, I don't see any way that there's any non-theistic explanation of what it means to be human. In other words, a secular worldview that explains that in any way, shape, or form. Um, so I think that uh, uh, at least to any sufficient logical or rational understanding of it. But the Bible says this. He goes, you know what? You're created in the image of God, but you've been tainted by sin. And that sin influences the way we think, it twists and perverts the good things in us for the purpose of bad outcomes. So someone can fall in love, you can be in love, but that can be perverted and then that good love becomes an obsession or abuse or, and then when you're in that situation, it's the worst thing ever, right? You go from heaven to hell really, really quick. <laughs> and so how do you explain that? Well, you explain it by uh, I mean, this reality of life that we live in, you explain it by a biblical worldview, which is this is what the Bible teaches it means to be a human being and why you are the way you are. And another way of phrasing it is this, is that the best way to really discover who you are is believe what God says about you, you know, because if you try to figure that answer out yourself, it just never works. Right. And so that's why mentorship is such a powerful antidote. Uh, mentorship is this intentional interpersonal relationship and what it does is it counteracts the capacity for the good things in us to be perverted by the world in which we live uh, and the reason why discipleship or mentorship does that uh, particularly today is because it really counteracts the postmodern way of thinking and the postmodern way of thinking is I'm trying to discover my truth my truth is greater than it. my narrative is what's most important. And of course, that creates narcissism. And and so uh, postmodernism is a way of thinking. It's not so much what you think, but it's how you think about things. 
And what it does is it blinds us on how to orient ourselves in this reality because we can't, we have a false understanding of what this reality is, right? And we don't believe what God says about us. We don't believe the reality in which we live. And that's why the world gets so confusing and messed up so fast. Uh, Case in point, affirmation. One of the greatest needs of the human soul is to be affirmed. And it should go without saying that no soul can be affirmed apart from God. A secular uh, worldview doesn't believe you have a soul. There's nothing spiritual about you. Sam Harris, who's an atheist, wrote a book about this, and he says what it is is that your, your, your brain is created an illusion that there is a you, right? And it's helpful, but it's not in the, you know, metaphysical reality of this, of this universe. What a depressing way to think about life. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? No wonder it's so hopeless. But so every every soul needs to be affirmed. You can't be affirmed apart from God. But our, our first and foremost affirmation comes when we seek the Lord and find Him. But we also need affirmation from uh, from sources and help uh, to help us orient ourselves in this reality. Right. In other words, we need to know who we are and what's the point and purpose of our life. And this can only come when we have a healthy perception of reality. And there's no more effective way than helping people discover this than through mentorship and discipleship. This is why parenting of both parents is so critically important. That's a mentoring, a discipleship oriented relationship uh, in its inception, you see. Um, So affirmation is really critically important. Second of all, uh, think about the concept of isolation today. Uh, Right now in the COVID pandemic, so many people are dealing with isolation and people are discovering how isolated they really are in so many ways. And one of the ways our human nature can be uh, perverted is through this isolation. When you talk with people who struggle with anxiety, with hopelessness, despair, depression, and you start talking to them, even though they have a lot of different things, they all express the same emotional experience. I feel alone. I feel all alone. Addictions and obsessions uh, isolate people as well. You know, they say that uh, hardcore addicts are the most self-centered, isolated people ever. They have zero friends, zero relationship connections, zero anything. Selfishness and narcissism are absolute expressions of the need to actually be affirmed. However, they've been perverted by believing it's up to the self to do the affirming. And that's why narcissism is so uh, destructive to the person who's a narcissistic and also so destructive to the person that that narcissist has relationships with. And it's really interesting because it starts from a need to be affirmed but it's, it's emphatically answered. The way I'm going to affirm myself is by myself, you know, and that's where narcissism really takes root. Uh, so these are things that, um, that discipleship, mentorship, this interpersonal relationship counteracts. It counteracts the capacity of these good things to be perverted into bad things. So it seems that mentorship or, or discipleship mm-hmm. is the antidote for looking into ourselves for the answers we're desperately seeking about our own lives. Mm-hmm. Why do we tend to seek the answers we need about our lives from within ourselves? Well, in a biblical worldview or, or what God says about us is, is probably a good way to say it, is that, is that we have a taint within us and that taint is sin. Now, it's hard to embrace this because 
most people in America and even across the globe get up and they don't think to themselves, man, how can I be a really bad and mean person today? <laughs> right. You tend not to think that way. Yeah, I would, I would say the average American doesn't yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah, the average American doesn't do that. Now, sometimes on a Friday night when people are stressed out, they go out and say, man, I, I need to go out and be a sinner tonight to blow off some steam. But I do view that as a little different than... than Inherently being yeah, be mean just and in, evil. Evil, you know, I'm just here to be evil. So, and what's really interesting is there's, there's a lot of research done uh after world war ii from a psychological standpoint of how it wasn't the leaders in uh the socialist democratic party of germany which is known as the nazis it was it was how did the average german fall into it right uh, and, and a lot of these people were members of the lutheran church and and considered themselves christians right and how is it that the Lutheran Church, the Lutheran Church actually superimposed the swastika over the Lutheran cross? And, and so how, how was it that fascism was able to take over the church in, in Germany as well as Mussolini took over and influenced the church in Rome, the Roman Catholic Church at the time? So how did that happen? You know, um, and I think what's really interesting is that Everybody thinks that they're doing the right thing, okay? But they often end up not doing it because there's a flaw in their reasoning, and that's the influence of sin. And if this influence of sin goes unchecked, there is a cascading effect. There is a momentous effect. It creates momentum in a direction that ultimately causes you to do a whole lot of things like in these fascist regimes ended up doing uh, to people. And how they went along with it, they just turned a blind eye to it. Uh, but also what it does is this sin then ultimately can do a cascading effect in your own life that robs you or steals joy from your life because it pulls that baseline disposition down dramatically. So how does discipleship and mentorship counter this cascading effect you're talking about that can undermine our happiness? Well, I think it's an interpersonal relationship where one person sees themselves as a guide or a coach. And, you know, on Tuesday we talked about you can't be a, you know, a good mentor is not a controller. A good mentor is not a fascist or a totalitarian, you know. But on the other side of it, a good mentor is not a, a universalist person who says what you do doesn't matter. We talked about the antinomians. You know, what you do doesn't matter. Just be happy. Be a hedonist, you know, whatever. It's not that either. A good coach is like, look, you're going to have to, you know, get up, make your bed, you know clean yourself up a little bit, orient yourself in this world, go out and tackle the world with your, you know, as we talked before, C.S. Lewis said, be a man with a chest. Right. You know, kind of embrace what's out there and then you're going to run in and get tripped a lot, right? But you need to figure out a way to navigate that. And the best way to do that is a mentor who can affirm you, who can encourage you and inspire you and then impart wisdom and say, yeah, that's a really bad idea. You know, that's a really dumb idea. Well, and they inherently have to be selfless, right? Like they, they have to care about something besides themselves that they want to pour into whoever they're mentoring or discipling. Right. They have to be at a point where they aren't focused on themselves that they can 
focus on somebody else. Well, and that's a really great way to put it is they have to be sacrificial. In other words, I'm not giving this to you to control your life and get you to do what I want because I'm living vicariously through you. Or just for extra help or doing whatever. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, these are things that are very important to me and I will share them with you freely. What, what you do with them is really up to you, but uh, I don't, I'm not trying to control your life. So I'm going to tell you a, that's a bad idea or that's a bad way of thinking. Right. You know, uh, so I think that's really important because it's an interpersonal relationship. It's not a formula. It's not a process. It just tries to resonate with the needs of the people you're trying to mentor. And so that's why mentoring, I think, is so counteractive to the way Satan tries to pervert these sin things to influence our lives. So Paul speaks directly to people who are the enemies of the cross. Mm -hmm. And you pointed out on Tuesday how these people could undermine the Philippians' joy by attacking them. How does something like that work today in our lives? Well, uh, we, we kind of brought up something that I thought was really interesting, and that is when you step back, you know, from a very, very, you know, like a 30,000-foot perspective of the whole thing, and you look at 2,000 years of history, you, you, look at, you look at the church, and I use that term to reference people who are following Christ, and you ask, how in the world has it survived? And I find something really fascinating in that even today a lot of people don't realize this but the number one persecuted group of people in the world are christians right now there is persecution of christians happening in 145 countries or nations around the globe and there's only 263 countries right i found out the other day in a process <laughs> that's coming up for christmas <laughs> So over half of the nations out there are actively persecuting Christians. Now, the persecution may be as mild as uh, uh, social status, uh, seizing a business, an extra tax. You know, if you're a Christian practicing Christian in any Islamic country, you have to pay a tax called the Dija, and it's a special tax that you have to pay. It, it might be that low level persecution or it's massive persecution. Like in China, it's massive right now. A lot of people are not aware of this, but the, the, the communist party under president Xi Jinping has required, they, they are seizing all of the Christians Bibles and they are rewriting their Bibles. Okay. And they are forcing them to read these new Bibles. In one particular instance, what they did is they took out the story in John where the woman is brought before Jesus in adultery, right? And Jesus says, he who is without sin cast the first stone, right? Right. And, and then in their story, Jesus stones her and kills her. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, and I think on a previous podcast you had talked about they were also adding the president, Xi Jinping's name yes. into the Bible. Into the Bible, Yes. And they have to read that. He was around back then. And things, <laughs> I, yeah, I guess I, it would be interesting sure. just for the fun of it to see where they're putting him in and what that does. I mean, it's yeah. very sacrilegious, but it would be interesting yeah, to see why they're yeah. what they're putting him into. Well, what it is is evil. It's absolute and unequivocal evil is what it is. And you see it on display. And what's shocking to me is that in our nation today, we see that. And well, first and foremost, nobody in our media even reports on it because it's not a big deal. You know, the other thing our media never reports on human sex trafficking, which is massive. 
you know, and probably one of the reasons why this is my opinion, but I have a lot of research to back it up is because almost all of the human trafficking right now, sexual human trafficking is children and girls who are white, who are being enslaved in Islamic countries, particularly North Africa. Hmm. And since it doesn't fit that critical race theory narrative in America, they don't want to report that. They don't want to talk about it because it just totally blows that that uh, postmodern neo-Marxist ideology out of the water of how social theory actually works. So this is shocking stuff and it's out there, but it is the you know, Christians are the number one. So uh, persecuted people group and China is right at the top of the list, you know, and is it the Chinese people? No, love the Chinese people. Love doing business with Chinese people. You know, they're so thoughtful and and consistent and responsible. They're just absolutely wonderful people, but they are under an oppressive government. Uh, My my, uh, brother-in-law, my wife's brother, they've adopted a number of uh, Chinese uh, children that are handicapped because if you're handicapped in China, then you'll, you know, you're abandoned. Right. And you go into an orphanage, you're never adopted. And so... They were like, well, these these uh, boys, they're deaf and we want to give them an opportunity. Right. And so they adopted them and brought them over here. And when they're over there, you know, it's like it's just really weird in the whole process. You can't ever talk about the government. Everybody is so afraid of the government. They won't even discuss it. It's like the boogeyman. Yeah. You know, Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga. (laughs) So what happens is uh, where's the church growing the fastest right now? In China. In China. Why is that? And how does that happen? In, in a place that's where they're persecuting you, they're, they're, they're tearing down church buildings all right and left. They're seizing Bibles and rewriting them. They're imprisoning pastors, and they won't let them preach or teach. Um, Facebook, at, behat, at the behest of the Chinese government, censors Christian pastors in China. Most people don't know that. Mm. <laughs> and what what is the church doing it's growing despite all of that how does it do that through discipleship it does it through discipleship and it's that one-on-one relationship where the truth of who god is is passed on to somebody else and so uh my personal opinion is is that the government of china will eventually collapse And saying this in a public forum is probably going to get me censored somehow. (laughs) But because what's going to happen is once you hit a tipping point of Christians in in a country, the totalitarianism always dies. Hmm. So I think I think that's um, one of the ways in which it's it's uh, impacting our lives today. I think like Paul said, hey, these people are enemies of the Christ. He had no compunction. He had no reservation saying these ideologies are an enemy of the cross. And I think what has happened is the church in America has been infected with nice guy syndrome, you know, and that is, is that uh, what Christianity is being nice. You know, that's what it is. Instead of being truthful and revelatory and transformational. Uh, Paul mentions this in Timothy when he says they hold to a form of godliness, but they've denied its power. It doesn't have any power to change your life. It doesn't have any power because it's actually removed the 
the reverence and awe and power of Christ in our lives. And so we're, we're just trying to create God in our own image to make us feel good about our moral choices. And I think that the church in America, in a lot of ways, has been infected by uh, the nice guy syndrome, where the most important thing is for us to be nice. And the way we rephrase it is, well, what you're supposed to be more than anything else is loving. And, uh, um, and I like to always say, nowhere in the New Testament does it ever say that we should be loving. <laughs> it never says that. It says that we are to love and your definition of loving has nothing to do with what jesus was talking about when he said love you see and love is about sacrifice love is about truth love is about honesty it's about courage it's about confidence love is about these powerful things that transform lives and if we lose that definition, then we lose the power of the gospel. And where does the power of the gospel always begin? It always begins with believing what God says about you, a biblical world view. And this has to happen in a mentoring and discipling relationship. For instance, right now, the biggest thing that we are addressing that is an ideology in our society. This is not a political ideology, though it has political ramifications. I guess you could say it is a political ideology, but I would say that the, the majority of American body politic, Democrats and Republicans and independents, don't adhere to any of this. But is the number one political theory taught in all universities. And it's this critical race theory. And critical race theory tries to put everybody in a group, right? And then that group is on what they call an oppressive hierarchy. So they find one group and that group oppresses everybody else, right? And so they're the enemy. You, you demonize those people. And everybody else, based upon these external markers, puts you in a group. So you have a group identity. You don't have an individual identity. And then what you do is each group is struggling for power. And what's so unjust and evil about this is you can have somebody in the oppressive group, they can be racist without even knowing it, right? Right. And then somebody in a, a lesser group can, can express absolute racist uh, words and principles and concepts against somebody in a group above them, but because of where they're in their group identity, it's impossible for them to be racist which everybody looks at that and goes that's just the nuttiest thing i've ever heard in my life <laughs> right you know uh racism is a problem of a human heart and the one thing we all are are human beings you see that has nothing to do with what category or group you are in and this is what discipleship does is discipleship mentorship sees people as individuals not as members of groups and the human struggle becomes simply that a human struggle every person has in common where discipleship helps us unify ourselves together because we're all the same you see we're all the same we're all seeking affirmation we're all seeking a healing of the of the soul and what we want to do is we want to be able discipleship what it does is it says look i am here to see you as an individual not a part of a group and i'm here to help you and coach you and inspire you because you're unique and if you try to solve your problems by joining a club or a group it's it, that doesn't work you see it, it has to begin with you and where we want to begin is we want to begin with what god says about you
So let's begin with that. Um, another place that we see this really confusing and really difficult is in the issue of masculinity and femininity. You know, what is that? Right. And it's so confusing today. And what critical race theory says is that gender is a social construct. Okay. It has nothing to do with biological sex. Now, some people who try to make this is called a category category fallacy in logic. And just because you create a category doesn't mean it exists, number one. And number two, it's not, it doesn't mean it's an actual reflection of reality. And in the reality is, is that biologically there is males and biologically there are females. And biologically that manifests itself in certain physiological ways. Right. right? Now, in order for a female to say, I feel like a male and I want to transition into a male, then she cannot do that unless somebody prescribes biological chemical agents that she introduces into her physiology that will change her more in that direction. But the question is, is that, is that ever a complete change? Well, I don't know how it can be because in when you're created in the womb, these things are specific biological facts that don't ever change. There is a DNA chromosome difference right. between males and females. But uh, people today create this critical race theory, which is an ideology, which is an, it's an enemy of the cross of Christ. And the reason why is because its worldview is in direct contradiction to what God says about who we are as human beings. And so our own reality is changed. Uh, for instance, just recently, Harry Styles, he's one of the singers in that group, One Direction. Right. Yeah. So he's in a boy band that I'm a fan of. I Did have a lot that? of questions about this, but... <laughs> When we lived in when we lived in Italy, you know, we'd drive a lot in the car, go up places, and so my kids they were playing songs, and I got into some of these um, uh, boy bands. I got into some of these really great songs that I thought were really really fun, and my kids were laughing at me because they were One Direction songs, you know. Um, uh, no judgment here. No judgment here, you know. So anyway, I could go through them and try to sing them, but I won't do that because I want people to actually listen um, and not be tortured. But uh, anyway, so that group doesn't exist anymore. They broke up. But uh, one of the guys, Harry Styles, came out just recently, and he did a sh uh, shoot in Vogue magazine of himself. Now, he's not identifying as a transgender person. He's a guy, right? right. But he wore all women's dresses in this photo shoot. Okay. okay? And the, 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 what? I'll say, okay, well, Vogue is weird. I don't look at Vogue. Who, right. Does anybody really care about Vogue? I don't know. Nobody I know cares about Vogue. Um, but it's a cultural trendsetting type thing, I guess, for fashion or something in the fashion world, right? Okay. Well, what was interesting is not that he did it, but w the response to it. And the response to it in our media was that it was groundbreaking and wonderful. And the reason it was groundbreaking and wonderful is because it said, this is the definition of men. Men don't have to be masculine anymore. So the message is clear. Uh, the way, because what they're trying to do is say, man, see, we can get rid of all toxic masculinity, you know, if a guy will, is secure enough to wear dresses. So the, the message here is clear and the premise is clear. And that is, if you're a man and you put on a dress, you eradicate toxic masculinity 
And so that means all masculinity is evil. You see, the way you become a non-toxic male is by dressing like a woman. So you are feminized in that regard. Now, it is my contention, and this is what I'd like everybody to think about, is that this denigrates females more than anybody else. Because what it does is it says to a female that you are not a unique creation of God. And people can, and so we're going to feminize males in order to get rid of toxic masculinity, which will somehow make women better off. But that denigrates women more than anything else. And that is, is that the worldview that comes from God is that he created us male and female in his image. And so there's something so wonderful and beautiful and special about females, about the feminine, about what they bring to the table. And we should value what they bring instead of trying to denigrate or change males into them. Because when you change males into them, you have this weird hybrid thing that's going to confuse women as much as guys. Right. right? And so I think that's another place that we are dealing with the whole thing about mentorship and in discipleship, because how do boys usher themselves into responsible, wonderful, masculine males, right? Well, that a man has to usher a boy into manhood, right? A boy cannot usher a boy into manhood and a, a woman cannot usher a boy into manhood. Only a man a masculine man who's discovered his identity can usher a boy into true authentic manhood. And one of the first things that every boy must learn as he's being ushered into manhood is how to control his strength. And you do that by respect and honor. So we all, all boys as a transition into men must be taught to respect and honor children. They must be taught to respect and honor all women, regardless of their position in society, regardless of whether they agree or disagree with you. But you are to respect them simply by the fact that they are created in the image of God. Hmm. So in the same way, young women cannot be ushered into. Uh, girls cannot be ushered into adult women except by other mature females, other women who've embraced how God has created them as a wonderful gift from him. And so that's another place that we're confronting this issue of mentorship and discipleship. And when we stop mentoring and discipling people, then our, our society is going to become more and more confused over all of these issues. So is there any final takeaways as we wrap up today that you want to uh, send us off with before Pastor Harv preaches on Sunday? Yeah, well, Pastor Harv is going to share some things with you that I think, as I said before, he's the expert in, in the mechanics of this. He's really, really good. At, I just want to say a couple general things. If you need a mentor or if you need someone to disciple you, then you need to f start by finding someone you would like to model your life after. And they're not perfect, but somebody say, you know, I'd like to learn from this person. Um, they can be a little further down the road from me. Uh, and then the second thing I would tell you is this, is that the primary reason why discipleship or mentorship doesn't work isn't because of the mentor or the disciple. It's because of the disciplee. 
They don't take it seriously. They think that the job of the discipler or the mentor is to make them feel good about themselves. Or fix all their problems. Fix all them. their problems or make or, or motivate them. Yeah, you know, my mentor just doesn't motivate me to want to do better. Okay, this is salty. That's on you, bro. That's all on you. It's your life. You, you know, they're not trying to live their life through you. They have a gift. And if you're not, well, let me put it this way. If you're too ignorant to open it up and understand what it is, that's all on you. That's all on you. So take it seriously. Motivate yourself. That's the first step in becoming a mature adult, right? Then the other thing is this. If you want to be a mentor, start by making a list of five people. I call it the principle of the five. And then just begin each day. Ask yourself really real quick. How could I encourage those people? Pray for that person. Inspire that person today. You know, maybe a small touch or maybe it's just pray for them in the morning or whatever. So that those people kind of become forefront on your mind. And what you'll do is you'll start realizing that you're becoming a mentor and a disciple. And then when God puts on the heart of somebody to come to you, then what you can do and asks for mentorship, you're ready to do that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all those words today, Pastor Doug. Um, I encourage you guys to watch on Sunday here at Foothills Christian Church. Uh, Pastor Harv is going to be teaching more on these verses and discipleship and mentorship in general. And like we talked about on Tuesday, he's really an expert in this and does it super well. And we're very blessed to have him. So yes, thank you guys are. so much for joining us. Make sure you leave a comment about anything you want to have us talk about so we have some inspiration. Um, this is primarily focused around the sermon series that we're in. But, you know, we might break out occasionally and, and look at some different <laughs> stuff if you guys are really needing some answers. So. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much, and we will see you on Sunday here at Foothills Christian Church. Blessings, everyone.